Well, good morning. And as Cindy said, welcome to Discover Christian Church. My name is Jordan Tuttle. I'm the youth pastor here on staff at Discover, and I am so excited uh, to be here with you. Uh, wh- wh- you're joining us today or whether you're joining us online. Um, over the first couple of weeks of this series, uh, What's in Your Backpack, we started a list uh, of spiritual movements from, from here to there. These, these, these movements are, are tools for life experiences and, and life circumstance, if you will, uh, and, and overcoming these uh, by the power of God. And our verse that we've landed on for the summer comes out of Colossians chapter 3, verses 1 through 4. I know Jim may have hit on this a couple of times during the Compassion series, uh, but I want to bring it back and I want to emphasize it. Uh, super important vo- verse, so let's look at it here. Since then you have been raised with Christ. Set your hearts on things above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things, for you died, and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you will also appear with him in glory. The reason why we look at these different spiritual movements is because it's forcing us It's forcing us to focus on Christ. The first week we did moving from from fear to faith. And last week Dave spoke on moving from complacency to focus. And I'm going to dig in deep here and I'm going to kind of be going fast. So uh, I want, and I don't want you to miss anything. So be, be paying attention Um, today. We're going to, we're going to talk about setting, you know, setting your heart on, on things above and, and how these spiritual movements can make that happen. As we grow deeper as Christ followers, we are to take on the mind of Christ. And I know that may sound weird, but we are to take on the mind of Christ. This means, this means that as we are growing deeper, as we are growing deeper, uh, we, we are becoming more and more like Jesus. We are taking on the mind of Christ. When this happens, we die to this life. We die to, to the desires, to the wants uh, of what we have here on earth. And, and, and our focus is more, more eternal. We know, we, we begin to understand the importance of things here and, and, and what the true importance of things are because we, have, we know that eternity is at stake. We know that eternity is at stake. Our priorities change. Our priorities change. Our lives change. So today we're going to talk about moving from self-doubt to confidence. And I want to challenge you right now uh, to think critically of the doubts that are in your own mind. Think critically of the doubts that you have about yourself, about others around you. Think critically of those doubts. As we walk through the story of one of the most famous people in the Bible, uh, I want you to look at yourself and question your doubts. So let's turn to Exodus 3, Exodus chapter 3, if you have your Bibles with us, or uh, electronically, if you go to, on version, version, the Bible app on version, you can look at events and type in Discover Christian Church, and you'll find an event uh, for us there. So if you turn in your Bibles to Exodus chapter 3, uh, we're, we're going to look at the story of Moses and his calling to lead the Israelites out of Egypt. And there's a lot in this story. There's a ton in this story, so I don't want you to miss it. And I'm going to be reading out of the NIV and I'll be stopping every now and then to, to expand. If you can follow along, that, that's great. <clears throat> so starting Moses, in Exodus chapter 3, verse 1. Now Moses was attending the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, the priest of Midian. 
And he led the flock to the far side of the desert and came to Horeb, the mountain of God, or Sinai. There, there the angel of the Lord appeared to him in flames of fire from within a bush. Moses saw that though the bush was on fire, it did not burn up. So Moses thought, I will go over and see this strange sight, why the bush does not burn up. When the Lord saw that he had gone over to look, God called to him from within the bush, Moses, Moses. And Moses said, here I am. Do not come any closer, God said. Take off your sandals, for the place where you're standing is holy ground. Then he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. At this, Moses hid his face because he was afraid to look at God. So Moses walks towards this, toward this bush that's on fire and it's, it's not being burned up and it calls out to him. It says, Moses, Moses. And his first response is, here I am. Now, I don't know about you, but if a bush is on fire and it's saying my name, I'm not going to run to it and, hey, I'm right here. It seems, seems ridiculous. Um, it, Moses seems pretty, pretty eager here. So, so what makes this interesting is, is they're, they're in the middle of, of this desert. God, God calls this place holy ground. They're in the mi- middle of this desert at the foot of this mountain, Mount, Mount Sinai. We've probably heard that name uh, from time to time, Mount Sinai. And they're in the middle of this desert. They're nowhere near any kind of place of worship, yet God calls it holy ground. This is interesting to me because we, we look at it very differently today. We, we don't really think about uh, the power of God in this way, do we? Throughout the, the Old Testament, there are all sorts uh, of times where someone or a group of people encounter God. They encounter God. And these are called theophanies, when, when, they, when they encounter God firsthand. Uh, when these theophanies happen, uh, they would mark the spot. It would become a, a, an extremely special place to the Israelite nation. Uh, the, places like where Jacob wrestled with God in, in, in Genesis. And places like right, right here in this story at Mount Sinai, they would mark this spot as an extremely significant point in their relationship with God. We kind of do that uh, from here to there. You know, you have that special place. Uh, to some of us, it might be Round Lake, which uh, a lot of us just got back from. And it might be other places, but the reality is, because of Jesus dying on the cross, the curtain of the temple was split, and the presence of God is alive in us. God is, ev- God is everywhere. The same power that Moses, that to Moses was to be revered enough that he would hide his face is alive in us. So let's continue reading in, in Exodus chapter 3, starting in verse 7. The Lord said, I have indeed seen the misery of my people in Egypt. I have heard them crying out because of their slave drivers. And I am concerned about their suffering. So I have come down to rescue them from the hand of the Egyptians and and to bring them up out of that land into a good and spacious land, a land flowing with milk and honey, the home of the Canaanites, the Hittites, Amorites, Perizzites, Hivites, and the Jebusites. And now the cry of the Israelites has reached me, and I have seen the way the Egyptians are oppressing them. So now, go, go. I am sending you to Pharaoh to bring my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. But Moses said to God, Who am I 
that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the Israelites out of Egypt. Who am I? Who am I? Who am I that I should go before the most powerful man in the world to rescue a group of people that have been enslaved by that have been enslaved by his nation? Who am I? That's obviously a very important question. Who am I? Who are you? Who are you? Galatians chapter 4, verses 4 through 7 says this, But when the right time came, God sent his son, born of a woman, subject to the law. God sent him to buy freedom for us, who were slaves to the law, so that he could adopt us as his very own children. And because we are his children, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, prompting us to call out, Abba, Father. Now you are no longer a slave, but God's own child. And since you are his child, God has made you his heir. You are a child of God. Right at the time that he had planned, God sent his son to live among us. Why? Because we were slaves to the law. The power of sin is the law. We were slaves to the law. God, being completely holy, completely just and righteous, knew that there, knew that there needed to be a consequence for the sin that was in the world. There had to be a consequence for the sin that was happening. There had to be punishment for the law that was being broken. So Jesus, who lived under the law perfectly, was killed as a sacrifice for taking that punishment. Because of this, uh, we have been freed from our slavery to sin. Because of Jesus, we've been freed from slavery to sin and have been adopted as sons and daughters of God. Who are you? You are a child of God. When Jesus was in the midst of teaching his disciples, uh, people often miss something that he said in, in Matthew 18, uh, 3. He says this. J Jesus says that we are to become children. He doesn't say that we should just act like children. We should become children. We, we choose. We choose to become children of God. We choose daily to be a child. So if you're a parent, no matter, no matter what age your, your children are, you, you may have doubted yourself or are doubting yourself. Well, you aren't going to be a great parent unless you become a child. And that kind of sounds silly because we've all been children, right? We all grew up. We didn't just appear out of thin air. <laughs> what came first, the chicken or the egg, the parent or the child? We, we, we all grew up. We are all actually children. But unless we become children of God and understand our role and understand who our heavenly father is, that's when we, we can become great parents, great uh, great people to follow, great people to look up to. If we are to face different life experiences and challenges, then we need to step into the role of being a child of God. We need to step into that role. How do you become a child of God? We look at God as Father. We need to be aware of His love and His authority. God, our Father, knows what's right for us. He knows what's good for us. So how do we become children of God? We listen to him. We listen to him. You see, I was raised in the South. 
And I, I know I don't have a southern accent, so it, it seems kind of weird. But I, I, was raised, I was raised in the south. And, and, and if any of you have also been raised in the south, uh, you, you knew to say yes, sir, or yes, ma'am, and no, sir, and no, ma'am. And if you didn't, you're in trouble. Uh, and and not, not to say that that's not encouraged here, but it was, it was way more emphasized in, in the south. I would address my friend's parents as Mr. and Mrs. Insert last name here. And when, I, when we moved up to Ohio, uh, people would call my parents Mark and Annette, and I'm like, what? Who are you talking to? <laughs> because I was like, no, 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 they're Mr. and Mrs. Tuttle. And it's just kind of like, a, I, don't, I don't know, a formality, but, but it, it, it seemed uh, like it always had to happen. You know, if I called someone uh, Mr. and Mrs. by their first name, I'd be like, don't you ever say that again. And I was like, okay, I'm sorry, I'm so sorry. You also paid, uh, you know, full attention to when an, uh, when an adult was speaking. And like I said, not to say that this isn't different here, but it's emphasized so much in the South. That's what you hear about, you know, yes, ma'am, no, ma'am, uh, yes, sir. But just kind of like that Southern act, I, I don't even, I can't even do it. Who am I kidding? Um, so, so <laughs> good grief. How do we, how do we, how do we listen to God? How do we listen to God? You have to be digging into the Bible regularly. If you're already doing that, then I encourage you uh, to journal as well. And sometimes that might sound silly. Uh, but if you want to know how to do that, uh, find me or Jim. We'd love to talk to you about, about what that looks like. So first, you need to listen to God. Second, you need to speak to him. A relationship doesn't really work if you're not talking to the person. A relationship doesn't really work if you're not listening to the person. You need to speak to God. One of the things that Jim talked about uh, when he got back from his trip to Haiti a couple weeks ago is they wouldn't, go, they wouldn't go three hours without praying. They wouldn't go three hours without praying. Can you imagine how different it would be if we were in, if we were in communication with God every three hours? how different our lives would look. Can you imagine what it would look like if it were more than that? I believe it would look very, very differently. We need to listen to God and speak to God to live into our identity as children of God. The issue is some of us don't have a great relationship or a relationship at all with our earthly fathers, which makes it tough to make that connection uh, with God as father some people have trouble even referring to God as Father because of it. The cool thing is uh, that that's what the church is for. That's what the church is for. The church is here to be parents to those people who might not have had a great father. The church is full of great examples of fathers, too. I know when I was growing up, I, I had people over to my house all the time that didn't have a great relationship with their dad or with their mom, and they would come over to my house, and I, would, I was so happy to share my parents with them. Like, that was just a cool thing to be able to do because, one, I was like, parents, you need to get away. I'm, I'm doing my own thing. And secondly, they can talk to you. They can have fun, so you can stop bothering me. Um, who are you texting, uh, my friend? I don't know. Um, teens, you, you know exactly. What I'm, who are you texting? Yeah, you hear that all the time. Um, the issue is... That, you know, that some of us don't have this, this great relationship with our earthly fathers. And that creates uh, an, an obstacle. But, but how is my confidence affected by all of this? How is my confidence affected by being a child of God? 
My confidence is affected because I actually know who God is. I actually know who God is and what he's capable of. A child knows their parent. Let's turn back to Moses in Exodus 3. But Moses said to God, Who am I that I should go before the Pharaoh and bring the Israelites out of Egypt? Here we are in verse 12. And God said, I will be with you, and this will be a sign to you that it is I who have sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you will worship God on this mountain. Moses said to God, Suppose I go to the Israelites and say to them, The God of your fathers has sent me to you, and they ask me, What is his name? Then what shall I say to them? God said to Moses, I am who I am. This is what you are to say to the Israelites. I am has sent me to you. God also said to Moses, Say to the Israelites, The Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob has sent me to you. This is my name forever, the name by which I am to be remembered from generation to generation. I can only imagine what's going through Moses' mind. He has to be completely overwhelmed with what God is asking him to do, to go before the Pharaoh. And on top of that, God says that his name is I am. What? Like, I am. I am has sent you. What does that even mean? It's amazing how in these stories and throughout Scripture, some of, the, some of the people that we read about respond so well <laughs> to what is being thrown at them. And, and maybe some of the other stuff isn't written in, right? You know, some of the reactions that they have to different things. Uh, but they respond so well. And, and I, God says, I am who I am. At the surface, it might not look like there's much there, but there's a ton there. And there's so much to learn about God just from this one statement. Just from this one statement. As children of God, we need to know him. We need to know who he is. Who is God? The main things that we learn about God from this statement are his attributes. One of the things that we learn is that he is self-existent. This name uh, explains his self-existence. Because he is who he is, he does not depend on anyone else. He does not depend on something else. Everything has, has to answer for something or someone. For example, in, in the animal kingdom, if uh, we, we have the food chain, right? If, if a whole species of animals were to die off, what would happen to the animals above them in the food chain? They would die, right? They would have no food. They'd probably die. Um, uh, take, to take this on a bigger scale, we, we have plants, right? Plants need two major things. Obviously, they need more than that uh, because of, you know, different, I don't know. I don't know anything about plants. But <laughs> they have two major things that they need, water and sunlight. Those are the obvious ones, right? If they didn't have wa- water and sunlight, what would happen to them? They would die. They would die. If they didn't have water and sunlight, they would die. They are, they are dependent on, on these things. If we, if we were without those two things, we would probably die too. But, but God, God is not dependent on anyone or anything. God's not dependent on the sun. God's not dependent on the water. In fact, he created it all. So how could he be dependent to it? 
we also learn that God is eternal and unchanging. God is eternal and unchanging. He is who he is now, and he will forever be who he is. Revelation 1.8 says, I am the Alpha and Omega, says the Lord God, who is and who was and who is to come, the Almighty. God is the beginning and God is the end. This is really important. This is really important. Churches uh, used to say this all the time. Uh, the minister would say, God is good, and the congregation would say, all the time, and all the time, God is good. And, and that, would happen, that would happen pretty often in churches. And although it's, it's kind of cheesy at some points, but, but there's so much truth there. Uh, all the time, God is good. On the surface, you know, it, it seems weird or, or maybe just kind of a cliche thing to do. Uh, but, but the truth behind it is that saying in every situation, in every circumstance, in every circumstance, God will always be good. So in every situation, God is good, he is holy, he is loving, he is perfect, all-powerful, all-knowing, he's everywhere, and he is there with you. It's never going to change, especially if you pursue him. That's never going to change. He's unchangeable, not only in nature, but in his word. He never changes, but what he says also never changes. If God says that he loves you enough to send his son to die for us, then he always loves us. In every circumstance and in every situation, no matter how good or how bad, God loves you. Maybe you're sitting there thinking uh, that you've had a hard time getting your, getting your head around that in the moment. Uh, and and, and that's, that's okay. That, that's very understandable. It's, it's difficult in, in the bad time to think, God, why are you, do, why are you doing this to me? You know, why, why is this happening to me? And that's, that's often uh, something that we, that we think about. We make our own decisions on this earth, and we make these decisions that have consequences. They have consequences, and sometimes we get things that we just downright don't deserve, right? Or we think we don't deserve, or we, we, maybe we just don't deserve them. So what do we need to do? I need to listen to God. I need to speak to God. Practice. Practice in the good and the bad. If we made a, if we made a habitual change in our life to be constantly in relationship with God, I believe that we would be changed. The last thing that we learn from this name, I am who I am, is that we cannot understand God. This is always something that's, that's kind of interesting to me. Uh, until we get to heaven, we'll never understand God fully. Uh, that's because right now, we live on earth where sin exists. And one thing that I've had to come to terms with is that I'm not always gonna, going to agree with God, but I need to do it anyway. Uh, because God knows what's best for me, and I do not. I do not. If you put yourself in Moses' shoes, you would see that there is nothing to doubt of yourself. What is there to doubt? He would be going to tell the most powerful man in the world to let people go, to release God's people. 
And there were going to be consequences if he didn't. The difference between Moses and Pharaoh is, is that Moses was putting his confidence in God. Moses was putting his confidence in the power of God. Whether you're here doubting uh, your ability as a parent, employee, student, or child of God, know that putting your trust and your confidence in God is something that's, that's not easy, but it's life-changing. It is life-changing. I stand here as, as an example of that. I, you know, I, I deal with severe anxiety, and, and I had severe anxiety in college, and to be able to stand up here and speak to a bunch of people would seem crazy to some people with severe anxiety. But God has, has helped bring me through this, this struggle and, and, and what I've dealt with. One of the things that we need to, to often check ourselves on is, is, who am I doing this for? Who am I doing this thing for? Is it for myself? Is it for someone else? People fail all the time. But I want to ask you this. What is God calling you to? What is God calling you to? I love my life group. Uh, they're the best. And this week I asked them that question. I asked them, what is God calling you to? One family that wasn't there uh, for, for good reason was uh, Cass and Taylor Powers. God is calling them to raise a child. Kylie Morgan Powers was born on Wednesday, and, and Kelly and I got to go see her on Thursday, and she's absolutely beautiful. And y'all, I believe uh, that God is calling our life group to be raising this little girl. God is calling our life group to be raising this little girl in the name of Jesus. We're walking right alongside Cass and Taylor. Another baby was born this week too, uh, Lily Nicole Bumgarner. Just, just what, a, what an awesome opportunity we have as a church to raise these children in the name of God. That's what we do when we have these Sundays where we, where we have dedication Sundays. What's interesting is that this looks different for people in all different walks of life. I asked a group of people that, that are in their 20s and 30s and they're e either starting families or, or they're single and they're figuring out what to do with their lives. And, and it would look different if I asked a group of, of people that are empty nesters, that, that their, kids are, their kids are out of school and they're out of college and, and it, looks, it looks a lot different. It would also look different for a bunch of middle school and high school students or even uh, elementary school students. What is God calling you to? If I asked that question, it, it would look very different. What is God calling you to? The neat thing is that although we are called to different things, we are called for the same purpose. We are called to make disciples of Jesus. We are actively following Jesus, learning from his word, and living out his calling so that others can do the same. The problem with self-doubt is that you are being an imposter to yourself. You are being an imposter to yourself. You are literally lying to yourself in order to please other people. And, and you might be saying, no, 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 that's, that's not what it is. Typically, someone struggling with self-doubt is preoccupied with acceptance and approval. And they say uh, yes to things only motivated by living up to other people's expectations. Here's the good news. There's only one person who you need to live up to their expectations. 
That's Jesus. He made it pretty easy for us, too. Um, he went 100% of the way. Jesus went 100% of the way. And all we need to do is say yes and continue saying yes. He went 100% of the way. What is God calling you to? Maybe God's calling you to reach out to a neighbor. Kelly and I have been slowly building a relationship with our next door neighbors, and we act like it's the hardest thing in the world. Uh, But when we go talk to them, it's so simple. It is so simple. When we go talk to them, it's so much fun, and, and, and it's so energizing to be able to talk to them and speak to them. We're excited to have them over uh, for, for dinner sometime in the near future. Maybe God's calling you to reconcile a relationship with your friend or with a friend. You're doubting your ability to think of words or, or, or maybe you're doubting your ability to forgive the person. Jim's going to teach on, on that a little bit more on the, on the 30th, so I encourage you to come back. That's going to be a, a great Sunday. <clears throat> but maybe that's what God's calling you to. Maybe God's calling you out of a situation that you're in. And sometimes, sometimes we cling to things so much that they're almost impossible to give them up. We love it so much, but, but it's your comfort zone. And maybe God's calling you out of that. Wherever you are in life, know the unchanging, self-existing God and who you are putting your confidence in is active in each circumstance. I know the promise of Christ, this new covenant that we talk about, is that you and I are sons and daughters of the Most High God because Jesus paid the penalty for our sin. And we need to start acting like it. We, we need to realize our role as children of God. And we don't need to just act like children. We need to become children. What sits in the way of confidence for you? What's God's call being held back by? Much like I said the first week uh, in, the, in this series with, with fear, name that insecurity. Name that doubt. Know that it's there. Be aware of it. Know that your identity is found in being a child rather than in that insecurity. We're going we're gonna to turn to a time of communion here in a moment. And maybe that's the time to do that. To say, God, I, I know what you're calling me to. I hear it all the time. And I keep turning around and saying no, or, or I keep doubting myself. I, I'm, not, I'm not good enough to do that. I'm not smart enough to do that. Maybe this time during communion is the time to respond to Jesus and to say, this is my insecurity. I'm aware of it, and I give it to you. And I'm going to allow you to change my heart. Not, not to, just to change me physically. Change me spiritually. Change my, my soul. Ask God for life change. On the night that, that Jesus was betrayed, he, he took bread and he broke it, and he gave thanks to God, and he handed it to his disciples, and he said, Take this and eat. This is my body, which was broken for you. And in the same way, he took the cup, handed it, and, and gave thanks to God, and handed it to his disciples and, te- and said, Take and drink from this, all of you, for this is my blood of the new covenant that was poured out for many. And this sacrifice, this price that was paid, 
this penalty that was taken care of was so that you could be a child of God. God, we are so thankful uh, that you have called us sons and daughters. God, we pray against the the doubts that we have in this life and that that we would place our confidence in you, in the all-knowing, self-existent God who we we look to. And God, God, we pray that your power would be known in this moment, that that this time uh, of responding and taking the Lord's Supper, that that we would be fixed on you and and understanding what you have done and what you are doing and what you will do in our lives. God, we pray this in your name. Amen.